Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Former Army Ranger Dr. Tony Brooks, a veteran of the Iraqi and Afghanistan wars, talks about his book, Leave No Man Behind with Bruce, and talks about current foreign American policy, or lack thereof, in the region. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now. Here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue. And we're live tonight, Angels Radio listeners. I'm Bruce Cook. It is The Conversation, and I welcome you to our time together. This is Angels Radio, AM 830, KLAA, Orange County, Los Angeles. We're going to open up the phone lines tonight, if you're so inclined, because we have a very important topic and we have a great guest coming on. Let me tell you once again, although most listeners are really familiar with this number, we don't open the phone lines too often on this hour, but I felt it was really necessary given what we're about to discuss. 714-2830-830. Again, it's 714-2830-830. So it's been close to two months, not quite, since the U.S. abruptly left Afghanistan, and we all know what happened. It's amazing in our news cycle today, how quick we forget the horrors that we saw, the worry that we felt, the confusion that existed, and the disappointment overall with our own government, with the plans that transpired, with the intelligence failure that seemed to be confounding our leaders. Right, right after that happened, just by chance, I happen to have a guest booked on this radio show, Dr. Tony Brooks. Timing is everything, I guess. I wanted to catch up with him and bring him back on the air tonight. We have the full hour together to talk about what's happened since. We're not hearing about anything to do with Afghanistan much. We're not hearing much about what's happening to our vets. I want to know what's happening to the thousands of men and women who've been brought home from Afghanistan? What is their fate? What is the government doing to try and place them in, in jobs or in roles still in the military? And very importantly, we want to know what's happening for those left behind. I don't think we ever got specific numbers from our government about who was left behind, how many were left behind, how many wanted to be left behind, and for what reason? Why did they want to be left behind? And what is being done now? And what are American citizens thinking now? What are vets thinking now about what is going on? So that's how I'm going to open the show tonight. Actually, it's a broadcast. It's not a show. Whenever a radio talk host says it's a show, I cringe because it's not a show unless there's music and dancing and maybe some jokes. This is a broadcast. It's a conversation. It is not necessarily journalistic. It is opinion. So everything that we say is not necessarily 100% true, accurate, or, for that matter, in line with what you're thinking. But the idea is to get you thinking and to get you involved. 
So with that, let's welcome Tony Brooks. Dr. Brooks, welcome to the broadcast. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Bruce. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm glad you're having this conversation today. It's great to have you back. Uh, before we, before I start hitting you with some questions, let me remind our listening audience exactly who you are and what you've accomplished. Dr. Brooks is coming to us tonight as a former 75th Army Ranger. He was very much involved in deployed to both Afghanistan in 2005 and to Iraq in both 2006 and 7. He was part of the rescue for the downed MH-47 Turbo 33, Operation Red Wings. In Iraq, he was very much involved with the Battle of Ramadi. He is the author of a book. It's called Leave No Man Behind, and we know where that slogan comes from. Dr. Brooks, we left some men and women behind. What are we doing? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's still not good. I mean, we still left tens of thousands of people behind that wanted to leave the country. And I'm aware of at least a thousand personally, and I know there are other groups doing very similar things that we're trying to do, which is get people paperwork and a place to go outside of Afghanistan. And that doesn't necessarily mean the United States. That could be neighboring countries, you know, Turkey, um, Uzbekistan is taking people, um, India has taken some people. Tony, the how bottom did, line is, Tony, how did you personally have contact with some thousand people? Where, where, how is that happening? I was part of a group that was helping to organize evacuations out of the country, and essentially what we did is we a group of us set up an operation center where we we were assigning groups of people different call signs and things so that we could get them uh, organized to move out of the country and each of these groups was you know 50 people and 60 people and 100 people and and lots of small families of 5 and 4 so that's that's where I was aware of the thousands of people is this group sanctioned by or supported by the U.S. military or the U.S. government in any way, or is this an independent citizens group? Um, <laughs> it's funny you say that, uh, being supported by the government, because I don't think anyone is being supported by the government uh, that's trying to evacuate people currently. Uh, we were more hamstrung by the government than anything, and it's all private citizens. Is there any pushback from the government as private citizens doing this? Are they interfering? Absolutely. Are they? What are they doing? Yeah, the State Department is refusing to answer their phone even uh, to try to help these people from Afghanistan get the proper paperwork uh, to enter some of these refugee camps that the U.S. has helped set up in other countries. Why? And Why all, do you think that is? I, I wish I had an answer for you there. I don't know. Uh, it's the most heartbreaking thing I think I've ever experienced. And all we're asking is answer your phone. I don't think the American people at large have any clue about what you're talking about. I imagine that some of our listeners are maybe even saying, I don't believe a word of it. Why would the government do that? How political is, is this statement you're making? Is it political at all? Um, I mean, I guess it could be political. I have no political ties, so I I just, just want people out of Afghanistan. 
it's just it's just uh, really quite horrendous to believe that that uh, this is continuing without much press and without much notice. Why do you think the press hasn't picked up on this? Uh, I don't I don't think it accomplishes anything for them to cover it. No, what, what do you mean? People don't really care, to be honest. I, I don't think people really care about Afghanistan. I think we've moved on. You know what? And yeah, I think you might be right, and that is sickening. What about the? I agree. What about the? I'll tell you who hasn't moved on: the families of those who lost their lives. They will never move on. You're involved with Veterans Affairs. What kind of response are you hearing from those people that lost sons and daughters? I, I mean, think this has been one of the toughest years. I think. Since since the fall of Afghanistan, I've had some very very close friends that uh, passed away from uh, wounds in Afghanistan, and their families this year have been struggling more than I've ever seen. Uh, social media uh, is devastating to watch them constantly posting about the loss of their sons, daughters, brothers, and there's nothing we can do. We can't even tell them that uh, it was for a good reason, because it's it's tough to look at Afghanistan and say, wow, we did such a great job. We failed. Yes. We failed for 20-some years. But our leaders have tried to put a, a, a good face on it. They've tried to say that these people did not die in vain, that they died for the cause of freedom and liberty in the country. We just failed. But how can how can a nation like this just move on and say we don't really care? How can the people, how can American citizens just say, I don't care, it's far away, I never was interested in it in the first place, I don't know anything about it, it didn't affect me, I don't care. What does that say about us? Yeah, Bruce, I think, this it, it, it isn't all my opinion, of course, but... I feel like we're way too comfortable here in the United States. People are so comfortable that a lot of this stuff, Afghanistan in general, they just don't get it. They just just can't. They cannot relate to someone who lives in fear for their life every single day of their lives. They just can't. In America, I'm not so sure that we're comfortable. Maybe that's the wrong word, Tony. I think a lot of people are struggling. I think we're just we're just unaware, uh, and I think we don't want to be aware. And I think most people would rather turn a blind eye on purpose because they feel helpless and can't do anything about it. But this isn't the America of our parents and grandparents. At least I don't think so. Why is it this generation? Why is it? I don't know how old you are, but I assume that you're probably in your young middle age and younger people beneath you don't seem to focus on the fact that the world is not a safe place. We are so lucky. America, in a large sense, is a giant bubble because of how much we do have and I suppose the comfort you alluded to. But the rest of the world is not safe. It's mean, it's tough, and there's a lot of bad players. And a lot of our people today, and maybe this is what you are getting at, I'm putting words in your mouth, and frankly, and I'll probably raise the 
ire of some of my listeners, in the woke spirit of the times, I don't think the wokeness recognizes the fact that there is evil still in mankind. You're right. I think, and and the comfort I was re referring to was more from a safety and security standpoint, meaning we don't have wartime in the United States, whereas a lot of the world is fighting in their homeland. Uh, I've been to some of those places, Iraq, Afghanistan. I've been to Israel, where every single day they have rockets flying uh, into their cities. And that's just a different lifestyle. You respect life much more when you know that it could be gone at any moment. And I think we, our comfort in the, using that word is security. Are we really secure? Could it happen here? Could, could we face that kind of terror here, or is that just too impossible to even consider? Bruce, you know, that strikes a chord with me because I, I live in King County, Washington currently, and two months ago I moved my entire family to Texas. And I'm transitioning out there, but in my opinion, the West Coast is a very dangerous place to be living. You better be more specific. I understand I understand to a degree, but I want specifics. Why are we so dangerous? Um, I think it's the, the, the politics of the West Coast really is not one of security, not one of respecting law enforcement, not one to punish criminals. We kind of just let things go. And when you let things go for too long, you get bit. How do you think this has happened? It's really been a cycle over really decades. It's not just instantaneous. But our society on the West Coast in particular and to a certain degree on the East Coast has changed radically over 30 years. Some of the things that you're talking about, a lack of respect for law enforcement, being one, but so many other issues. Mostly a real divide between races, cultures, genders. Everybody's at each other's throat, pretending that pretending that everybody's the same and everything is going to be fine and we just have to get rid of the old ways because they didn't work right and people were disenfranchised and there was horrible racism and all of that true to a degree. But when you throw everything away, what's left? Yeah, I look at all the divisiveness, and the one thing I always come back to is, you know where we have lots of different types of people that are forced to work together every single day for something far greater than themselves? And that's the United States military. And I think a lot of us could take, learn a lot of lessons by looking at what happens in the military and how Everyone works together. No one cares what your race is when you're on a battlefield. No one cares where you're from. All they care about is that flag that's on your shoulder. <laughs> and you're all fighting for the same thing, and you're fighting for each other. There's Everything a, else is out the window. There's a, there's a well-known expression, and I can't think of exact wording, but you can probably fill it in. When you're in a foxhole, what are you thinking about? Who's next to you? I, Correct. Anyway, 
I hate to bring this up too, but speaking of what you said about people of very diverse cultures and backgrounds getting together in the military, there's a large, very large vocal part of this country that wants to get rid of the military. What's that all about? Um, I think that goes back to the, you know, the word I used <laughs> that I probably shouldn't have, but you know, we don't fight wars here in the United States. We fight wars overseas. We go on deployments when we go to war, so we don't see it. And until it comes home, I think people don't see the use of the United States military. They like the idea of it, maybe, but they don't see it being too useful when we're not at war. we got to take a break, uh, Tony. But when I come back, I want to ask you about usefulness of military. In point of case, thousands of soldiers have come back from the Middle East, from Afghanistan. What are we going to do with them now? What is the military going to do for these people now? Think about that. Ladies and gentlemen, listening tonight, we got a serious topic. And you're welcome to check in and, and talk to me, talk to Tony. 714-2-830-830. We will be right back. Ducks Radio AM830, KLAA. At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care. I wanna follow where she goes. I think about her and she knows it. I wanna let And we are back. I'm Bruce Cook. It's the conversation. Angels Radio AMA 30. Dr. Tony Brooks tonight from Redmond, Washington, soon to be from somewhere in Texas. We're talking politics, we're talking war, we're talking military, we're talking about our country and what's happening. And you're not going to like everything that you're going to hear. And you're welcome to join us, 714-2830-830. Before the commercial break, I asked Tony Brooks to think about the fact that all of these soldiers are coming back from Afghanistan. What's going to happen to them? Is the military prepared to place them in civilian types of jobs or will they just be put back into society with uh, no no assistance will they stay in the military and be uh, put to work in other sorts of activities to help people in this country tony what do you know i know that uh, a lot of them are staying in the military uh, their roles obviously have changed dramatically I mean, I was in the special operations community, so those guys are used to high operational tempo. They're used to the, these very risky things that they do on a daily basis. And now they're coming home, and they're focused on, once again focused on training. Um, most of these guys joined during the middle of a war, so they 
they've never, you know, been in the peacetime military. So, yeah, the military needs to really recognize that you've got guys that joined to go to war and to fight a war, and now they are, a lot of them feel helpless, like they're, they can't do their job and, and they don't have a path. So there's, there's a lot of issues here. Readiness for future conflicts. We've got people that will be leaving the military now that the job seems to be done, according to at least the commanders. So there's, there's a lot to be done here. There's a lot to think about. We have people coming back with lots of symptoms of PTSD that our medical system, I, I don't believe, is prepared for an influx there. I think that's been made very clear. Let me get back to the first part of your answer, and that is adjusting to peacetime and taking the skills of these highly trained people in the military and putting them to use. Is the bureaucracy, which you hinted at in the beginning of our conversation, which seems to be blocking your efforts to try and assist victims still in Afghanistan, is that bureaucracy so big and so overwhelming that it will prevent the adaptation of these talented people to put be put to work in other aspects of improving life in peacetime through various programs that the military can get involved with, while at the same time you said we need to still be prepared for potential conflict. Is that an impossibility is that is that two opposites that don't attract yeah you know i hate that question because i think the answer is yes <laughs> they are opposites that don't attract however uh, we've been through this before i mean the period of the 90s there was relatively peaceful time for the united states as far as major conflicts and the military did a decent job of adapting to that peacetime uh, off-tempo. And, you know, I watched, like, the 75th Ranger Regiment, for example, train up harder than they've ever trained in their entire lives uh, as far as a unit goes. And when Desert Storm came around, when Afghanistan came around, they were ready. They were more than ready. So it's possible. And I think the, there, there will be units of the military that will be well adapted and others that won't. As a whole, they probably will not be. What is your vision of peacetime now? Do you think it's going to be lasting? I know that's a really impossible question, but are we looking at years ahead of us where we will not be embroiled in conflict abroad? Yeah, I think I think the, the landscape of you know, ground wars is changing rapidly. I think a lot of uh, military conflicts may even be going ongoing currently are occurring on, you know, cyber warfare and, and economic warfare that we aren't necessarily in that you know, realm. So we don't really know what's going on, but I think it's it kind of been trending in that direction for a while. But so doesn't I think we might have, safety for a while with not a lot of not a lot of ground wars let's put it that way except tony doesn't cyber war and economic war disrupt society to the point that people come to blows that arms are raised 
you know, when, when, when the economics of life go down the toilet and you cannot trust this technological age, you'll have chaos. And yeah, especially in other places. Let me, yeah, let, me switch, I, let me switch subjects a little bit on the same vein. The failure of our intelligence was a major, major issue in culpability with the Afghan pullout the way it happened. The failure of our intelligence back in the early 2000s was a major factor in our participation in the war in Iraq. And with the recent passing of Colin Powell, there's been a lot of discussion about that. What I'm getting at, just recently in the news, and again, it came and it went, it really wasn't dwelt on, and perhaps it's because, as you said, American people are really not all that interested. There was a news item that China was launching nuclear missiles from submarines that had the capability of trans-world uh, contact. It was downplayed and denied by China, but many of the pundits said, our intelligence has failed again. Can you speak to our intelligence? Can you speak to the quality of our intelligence, having dealt with situations in both Iraq and Afghanistan? Are we up to speed, or are, do our, is our head in a cloud? You know, I've seen U.S. intelligence be so far advanced that it's scary. And I've also seen some failures that just are dumbfounding to me that I could, you know, ask my seven-year-old to do something and I can do it. So I've seen both ends of the spectrum there. And I saw that news article that you were referring to about the Chinese nuclear-capable hypersonic space weapon is what they were calling it. And essentially they're firing it into space and it circled the globe. And our intelligence uh, personnel were just saying, well, I didn't think they didn't have that. We thought they were 10 years from having that type of technology. Right. So, why haven't why hasn't that raised a lot of red flags? It it, it came and went. It really did. It it was a a headline, and on all my military circles, all of us were joking about it, saying, "Here we go again. <laughs> we're failing, right and left." And then it was that was it. That was it was done. Yeah, it's 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 quite scary. It's quite scary. Listen, I'm going to I'm going to hound you. I'm going to go back to the fact that you are telling our radio listeners that you're moving to Texas. I'm sure there are people that are saying you're fleeing. You live in Redmond, Washington, which is, a, as far as I know, a very beautiful and conservative place. It's not a place where there's a lot of upheaval and, and confusion. Why do you feel you've got to get out of there rather than, than get involved in your, in your society up there to make things better? Um. Redmond is, I, you, you said a, a word that I haven't heard in a while, and it was conservative uh, in Redmond. Am together. I wrong? Am I wrong? Uh, it's very, very liberal. Really? Yes. Um, it's the home of Microsoft. It is, uh, it's tech heavy, so it's very, very liberal. And, you know, I, I am, you know, a center, I'm a moderate, moderate conservative 
And this past year and a half, it's been made clear to me and my family that we are not, our ideas are not welcome. That is so and sad. That is so sad to yes. hear. My, my wife was the one that pushed mostly to leave the state, and she's a native Washingtonian. And she said, I cannot live here anymore. It is the worst thing I could possibly hear on radio tonight, that Americans in their home communities have to leave because they feel unwelcome, unapart of the society, that their values and opinions are not welcome. There's so much hostility. What a world. What a terrible situation. I never thought I would say that. I what never a terrible situation. That. So the next, the follow-up question is, even though I know, obviously, Texas, to a greater degree, is much more conservative, are you sure you're doing the right thing? Um, I'm never sure I'm doing the right thing. All <laughs> I can do is use, use evidence that I've gathered and make the best decision for me and my family. And I'll tell you what, my family's been there for two months, and I've been commuting back and forth. And I haven't seen them this happy in, wait a minute, about two years. So it's a good thing. Okay. Boy, what a way to, what a way to come to the next commercial break. Dr. Tony Book, Brooks, you're the author of Leave No Man Behind, and, and you're sharing some pretty heavy insights tonight on Southern California radio. I know there's a lot of people here who get what you're saying, who may be thinking the same thing. Time will tell. Personally, I'd rather see us fight to make things better, but I realize that is a very, very big challenge. We're going to take our second break. I'm Bruce Cook. It's The Conversation with Dr. Tony Brooks. Ducks Radio, AM 830. Hey, LAA. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News and World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 949-516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this very well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart, their children and their families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, New Directions for Women has helped addicted women recover in a nationally recognized treatment facility in Costa Mesa. Their doors are wide open. It just takes the first step. Call New Directions for Women. The number is 
888-786-0509. Again, 888-786-0509. You can also visit them at www.newdirectionsforwomen.org. New Directions for Women. They know recovery. And we are back. I'm Bruce Cook. It's The Conversation. Angels Radio, AMA 30, KLAA. Los Angeles, Orange County, all over Southern California. Dr. Tony Brooks is with me tonight. We're in our second half hour together. We're talking heavy-duty stuff tonight. No fluff on the radio. I hope that you're listening, and I hope that you're thinking about what we're saying, whether you agree or disagree, no matter your politics, no matter your stance, no matter what you have heard or not heard or believe or don't believe. We need to keep talking, ladies and gentlemen. We need to keep being honest with one another. And that, to me, is a big problem in the divisive world we're in because regardless of what quote-unquote side you're on, there's not a lot of honesty and there's no listening. There's no listening to the other point of view. And if you don't listen, you'll never learn Things will never improve. Dr. Brooks, coming back to you, let's go back to Afghanistan and what you know about the people that are stuck there and what's happening in terms of their lives. And most importantly, address the fact that the war on terror ain't over. Yeah, the war on terror is far from over. You you talk about the Taliban and what they are, what they're really fighting for. You know, we went to, we went to Afghanistan to preserve our way of life. The Taliban is fighting to die for theirs. And, you know, they, they have a very different mindset to war and the infidels and and fighting. So don't ever think the war on terror is done because until they die, their their cause is still not. They're not. They haven't finished their cause yet. But and, aren't we aren't we in a in a David versus Goliath kind of a situation here? Haven't we proven that in the many years there and their succession and their win? So the big question. The big question is, as you said, we went there to preserve our way of life. We went there to preserve our way of life as a result of 9-11 and other things that have happened here that have threatened that way of life. But there are those that would say going to Afghanistan to preserve our way of life only made it more, more challenging for those that hate us. You know, I'm, I'm a little torn on that because I do think that that is partially true. I think that by going into their homeland and fighting them there, it has emboldened some of them, a lot of them, maybe more than before. On the same token, and this is just another point of view, we fought them there and not here for 20 years. And what and about to say about that? True. But what about the people of Afghanistan? You were there. There were obviously citizens of that country that wanted us there. Why do you think they did? Why weren't they in line with the Taliban or other uh, groups of 
the uh, Muslim world that wanted to return to traditional lifestyle? Why were they, why were they opposed? And and the big question is, why didn't they stand up? Why did they just depend on America and allies? Why didn't they stand up and fight to the death to maintain what they believed in? You know, I th I think it's important for us to always remember that no matter where people are, they're very much like we are. Half of them are going to agree with one one opinion and half will agree with another. And that is kind of human nature. And I think a majority of people don't like to buck the system. They don't want to fight. They want someone else to do that for them. And I think in that case, in Afghanistan, most of the fighters were on one side and not the other. And that's why it ended the way it did. Well, then let me make this transition that will really be crazy. What about here? What about here? What about if there's another horrendous event like 9-11? Will America come together like America did, even though it was short-lived, Back then, in 2001, will we come together and fight whatever terror that is and put a stop to it? Or will we be divided? And as you said, two sides, one saying, let's go, and the other saying, back off. Yeah, we're in a tough time right now, having come out of a very long war. And I think the majority of Americans will be on the side of, no, let's not do anything. So I think it'll be different. But I do think the majority of Americans will, will side with that. Um, and it's just a kind of the, the sine wave of how Americans work. You know, we swing one way and then we swing the other way and we rarely are in the middle. But America and, was built on the middle, Tony. I know it was. Was built on the middle. Maybe not perfectly so, and maybe it's a bit of lip service because there were always forces at work to undermine whatever was happening because that's human nature and that's people and that's the bad side of, of the human spirit. But the middle has always been America's strength. Now it seems to be a weakness. Let yeah, me, I kind of felt that way here in Washington. <laughs> Being in the middle is not the place to be. That's and, so again, it's it's really disturbing. That's really sad. It's really sad. Listen, based on what we've been talking about, let's go to another place on the planet where there is chaos right now. And this is a little off subject, but not really. Let's talk about Haiti. Let's talk about what's going on in Haiti, and my question to you is should America get involved in freeing those hostages before something horrible happens? Should we be sending in special forces? Should we be sending in subvert SEAL teams to try and rescue them? Diplomacy may not work here. We could have 17 murders in a chaotic world, an island just off of our, our coastal borders. Do we have a role? And the bigger question is, does America still have a role internationally in taking care of wrongs where they're happening in other places that don't necessarily directly affect us, even in this case,
being American citizens involved? You know, I I don't care where it is in the world. If we have Americans in danger, we should be willing to go get them. And I think you talk to anyone in the special operations community, you talk to Navy SEALs, you talk to Delta Force operators, Army Rangers, they'll go in a heartbeat. They just need to be told they just need to be told they can do it, go do it. And I've actually been to Haiti uh, on a humanitarian mission. And it was about seven years ago. So I, I'm a little familiar with, with the uh, geopolitical implications there. But if it were me, I'd, I'd go get those Americans now. The longer we wait, the harder it's going to be to get them out. And who knows what's going on right now with them. Yeah, I was going to say, do we have any idea what's going on behind closed doors at all? What would you What would you guess? I would guess that, I mean, based on past hostage situations, they're probably being treated fairly well, but they're not being allowed to do anything that they want to do. They're they're in prison, and I I just can't see how anyone in our leadership thinks that's okay. I don't see how anyone in leadership can think this is going to have a great ending unless something's done. And I can't imagine they're going to pay 17 million. They, whoever they is, is going to pay $17 million in ransom money. Yeah, that's, I mean, I mean, we're going to pay it ultimately if, if it's paid uh, you and I and, and the, your fellow listeners, we're all going to pay it. And to be honest, um, I would not be opposed to paying to save someone's life. But I do think that we have more other means of doing it, and, and that shouldn't be our first option for sure. We should not be negotiating with, with people who are putting others' lives at risk and giving them money. That's just crazy. We shall see what happens. Again, it's been a blip on the news. It was big news a few days ago. Haven't heard anything about it. Uh in the last couple of days. So you have to wonder what's happening and who really cares. And again, very, very sad news. Talk about your book for a bit. Talk about why you wrote it and share a story from the book. I understand that uh, there are some very, very chilling stories in your text. Yeah, there's some very, very chilling stories. But I, there's one that I think a lot of people, when they hear this story in my book, really realize that people on a battlefield, you know, doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what they're doing. If they have a purpose, they will accomplish anything. And my favorite story in my entire book uh, this is not a spoiler because there's lots of other good ones, but this is my favorite one. It's a story about the ring. And after I had the, uh, my team had helped recover the crashed Chinook helicopter, Turbine 33, which had 16 men on board that all perished, we'd recovered the entire helicopter and all the men on board. We realized that one of the men was missing his wedding ring. And... A lot of the guys knew him, knew him personally, knew his wife, knew that he would definitely have it on him at all times. 
And one of the leaders looked at us all and said, uh, we know this is like a burning helicopter crash, but we're going to find that ring. And for hours, we crawled on our hands and knees, digging through ashes and um, burning embers. And we did. We found that wedding ring. And we delivered it to the widow, which I didn't even know if she had received it until about two years ago when I reached out to her awkwardly, trying not to bring up any bad uh, trauma. And I asked her if she had received anything from that mission. And within seconds, she sent me a picture of the wedding band next to his uh, face. And I'll tell you what, there's, there's nothing that in combat that I've ever done that was a better feeling in the world than knowing that we delivered this little piece of metal back to a widow and gave her some hope. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Ladies and gentlemen listening, you might want to get that book, Leave No Man Behind, Tony Brooks. We're going to take our final break, Tony, and we'll be back and wrap up our time together. So stay with me. Hi, this is Kevin Shattenkirk, and you're listening to Ducks Radio AM 830. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine Program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash spine health. Welcome back to the Bruce Cook Conversation. My honor to have you listening tonight. I'm, I'm most grateful for everyone tuned in. In cars across the freeways of Southern California, mostly, I imagine. Dr. Tony Brooks has been with me for the past hour, and admittedly, we've been really heavy tonight, and, and it's been a lot of negative talk. I'd like to end on some optimism, something upbeat, something positive, if possible. Dr. Brooks, what can you tell me, what do you see as something good coming out of all this in the long term, if anything? Um, I think veterans are coming together uh, as a outside of combat for the first time in 20 years. Um, I've had more meetings with fellow veterans than I've had in those 20 years, you know, in this past probably six months. So I think it's forcing us to reach out to our, you know, our buddies, to reach out to our family members and our friends and, and tell them, you know, we care about you and thank you. Thank you for what you've done. It, me, it, we, it does matter to us, even though it's not in the news. So I think it's going to bring us all together. Thank, be thankful that we're all here. 
We're not fighting wars overseas anymore. It's not all bad. You can fail and still, you know, come out of it better than you went in. So that's what I'd like to say. Yeah, well, it sounds like a pretty good Thanksgiving message. Um, what about our politics? Are we going to find that middle ground? You call yourself a moderate. You sound pretty, pretty, pretty heavy uh, in terms of feeling ostracized from that moderate position. But will will you find that, that place again where you feel comfortable between the two extremes? I think so. I think we'll get there. Uh, I've seen, you know, swings in both directions in my lifetime. You know, I'm 40 years, I'm going to be 40 years old. So I I think we'll get there. I just think it's going to take pe- good people keeping doing good things and really, you know, loving your neighbors. That's a good thing. I, I like what your I like that. Are. I like that. I like that. After all, it's always face-to-face, one-on-one when it comes down to the bottom line. It's not nation-to-nation. It's person-to-person. And that's when people really understand or at least try to understand each other. And the hate seems to fall away when you're face-to-face with someone that is not like you, but you find common ground. Talk to me about who's going into the military at this time. Do you know who the recruits are, who the people are, what kind of people are joining the military in a non- time of war and a non-time of draft. Uh, what are our young people joining for? You know, I don't know all the answers uh, as far as the recruiting goes, but I, I do know that I have enough, you know, friends and in, in the military or that we're in the military that we're starting to see our children enlist in the military to kind of follow our lead. So we are seeing really a family affair, I think, more so than we've seen in many, many years. The military has had that tradition, actually, since its its early days. So let me ask you this. You're a 40, and you you said you have a 7-year-old. Maybe you have other children of that tender age. Do you want your sons and daughters to follow in your footsteps? I don't, I don't, I don't really want them to follow my footsteps just because I did it did something you know I went to USC there in Southern California I grew up in Northern California I've lived in Portland LA Seattle I want my kids to be happy and I want them to carve their own path if they join the military I'll be happy for them if they don't it won't bother me one bit very nice answer Dr. Tony Brooks Let me plug the book one last time. Leave No Man Behind, Dr. Tony Brooks, available in bookstores or online, wherever you buy your books. Um, Again, it's been a a pleasure to have you on on the broadcast tonight. I wish you the best in Texas. I wish your family the best. I hope you find what you're looking for. I hope the West Coast and the East Coast find some peace, too, because we are divided horribly, neighbor against neighbor, People can't even sit down at the Thanksgiving table together. I, I actually wrote an op-ed recently that try and sit down with your friends and loved ones of divergent opinions and, and do your best to talk. And don't just say pass, pass the peas, pass the dressing. 
but talk about things because that's what Thanksgiving's about. And more so, at least if the only thing you can say is pass the dressing, at least don't throw the dressing because that's what we're looking at. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's where we are, and we need to turn it around. Anyway, that's how we're going to close our show tonight. Again, Tony Brooks, thank you so much. All the best. All the best to the listeners. Come back again. Join me for the conversation next Sunday night, Halloween. I've got to figure out something fun to do on Halloween. We, I promise you we'll be more fun next week. But uh, I thought this was so important to have Tony back on the show tonight because we can't forget about the people in Afghanistan. We left behind thousands of people. Don't forget because the news cycle went to Gabby Petito and, and to uh, Alec Baldwin shooting someone on the lot and all these horrible things. Don't forget about what we still need to do in Afghanistan because as Tony Brooks writes, we cannot leave one man or woman behind. That is America. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear the Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. <laughs>